Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that leaves no stone unturned to bring you the most important stories from all areas of the property world. And today we're taking a look at the prime residential sector, where sales have hit near record levels over the summer and asking whether that can continue. This sort of resurgence in demand for properties outside of London and particularly in the countryside does come at a time when that property is looking quite good value because a lot of that country property has been quite strongly outperformed over the last 10 years. And we'll be taking a closer look at a specific part of that market, properties by the water. You're looking at an average of about 13% premium for something within 100 metres of the water. But if you take absolute water frontage, the sky's almost the limit in terms of how far that premium goes. I'm Guy Ruddle and joining me are three people who between them know pretty much everything there is to know about the upper reaches of the housing market. Two of them are well known to Real Estate Insights listeners and one is enjoying her first day at school, so to speak. So let's meet them. Andrew Perrett is Head of Country Residential Sales. Andrew, welcome back. Hello, Guy. And Lucian Cook is Head of Residential Research. Lucian, welcome back. Yeah, nice to be here again. And Fran Moynihan is our newcomer, and she has the rather wonderful job title of Head of Waterfront. What does a Head of Waterfront do? It's not a bad job, actually, Guy. Um, I look after our UK waterfront business, so that encompasses houses and flats by rivers, locks, lakes and by the sea. Let's talk about the, 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 residential, the prime residential market. We last talked, Lucian, um, back in May, I think it was, You were saying at the time that there were early signs of activity as we were coming out of the the deepest versions of lockdown. What's happened in terms of activity since then? Well, I I mean, I think it's really all taken us by surprise as to the extent to which activity levels have increased and been sustained through the summer. So I think back in May when I was talking to you, um, the levels of of deals which were being agreed in in the market above a million across the country as a whole was about 37% as the same period last year. Fast forward through to August, and they're at 228% um, of where they were in the same month. So uh, you can see just from that single statistic, the extent to which the market has rebounded. And increasingly, we know it's not just a case of pent up demand coming back to the market. It also reflects a lot of the life changes that people have made as a result of lockdown. We've done a whole series of surveys um, through the period of lockdown. And one of the findings that I found really interesting was in July, we asked people whether or not lockdown had affected the view of their work-life balance. And 74%, so three quarters of people responded saying that the experience of lockdown had made them reconsider their work-life balance. And 34% said, so just over a third said it had done to a significant degree. And I think it's that which is sort of underpins uh, the appetite which we have um, in the market at the moment. And Andrew, uh, that's activity, but what about prices? Prices haven't changed that much. I think the, the difference between this upturn of activity and previous upturns is that we're not seeing rapid price growth. And that's for a number of reasons. The, there is record levels of demand for property, but the level of supply 
seems to be meeting that demand. You know, I think people have held off making decisions for the last few years. A lot of uncertainty around Brexit, potentially a change in government. People didn't want to put their house in the market whilst there was so much uncertainty. Some of those questions at least have been answered. And I think people just want to get on with it. And you have uh, a reasonable level of supply coming to the market, which is being met by the demand. Interestingly, this time last year, we were achieving about 98% of guide price in England and Wales. That hasn't changed this year. We're achieving about the same levels. Yeah. So one of the sort of big themes is the idea of moving out of uh, out of cities and more space, more country living and all that sort of stuff. Fran, when you're, when you're talking to people who are buyers is that something that you're very conscious of yeah absolutely guy i mean as as lucian alluded to earlier um i think everyone during lockdown has reassessed their lifestyle choices and what they want from where they live so we do get a lot of people who are searching for that waterfront lifestyle whether it's direct access to the water fabulous views having that openness that space um sometimes still within striking distance of london if they are thinking about returning to work um, for part of the week. But they'll often look across a huge sector section of the UK um, and a huge stretch of coastline in order to find the right home. I suppose there's a danger that we, that we end up giving the impression, rightly or wrongly, that, um, that there's a mass exodus here, that actually just people are just moving out. And is that, Andrew, is that something that, that's happening or? Far, far from actually. Um, it, is, it is a fact to say that our country offices are getting record levels of inquiries and in particularly from city buyers. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't spell the end of, of city living as we know it. Interestingly, um, Lucian and his clever colleagues in our research department have categorised these London buyers looking outside of London into four uh, groups. The first group is that the capital upsizers, where someone living in London uh, doesn't necessarily want to leave the city, but they want just a little more space. So they might be moving from central London to the suburbs and areas like Wimbledon and Chiswick and Ealing and Fulham have done rather well out, out of that. The second group are the house swappers, where people... Um, do actually want to move their principal residence out to the country, but they might retain a pied de terre in town. You know, I think for a very long time, those in the prime market um, have aspired to have dual property ownership, where they might live and work and school their children in, in the centre of town, but have a bolt hole in the country. And we're seeing that model flipping, where the bolt hole st- stays within a city and uh, they move their principal residence to, to, to the country. Then the, then the third group uh, within that this category of the extended commuters, those who are prepared to put up with a longer commute time and it feels like the, the magic 60 minutes is now becoming nine, 90 minutes. And then there's the, the fourth and final group of the super prime London bars who are much more discretionary, who don't have to buy a property. It may well be a number of properties in their portfolio. And they are looking at the London marking and thinking it's probably quite a good buy right now. And Lucien, how confident are you that this is this is something that sort of permanently new i don't know whether that makes any sense but you know what i mean well i mean certainly if you look at the lead indicators the levels of viewings which we're seeing in the market but also and probably more importantly the number of people who we would refer to as new applicants who are registering with us there's there's a pretty strong indication that this is going to last through into the autumn market i suppose the extent to which you see people look to the countryside for example is really going to depend how long the consequences of, of COVID-19 are with us. 
Um, it's going to depend on how entrenched things like um, uh, working from home um, become. And the evidence around that is that there are going to be some permanent shifts. It's very difficult to say exactly what scale they will be. And I don't think, you know, we, what we shouldn't forget is that this sort of resurgence in demand for properties outside of London and particularly in the countryside does come at a time when that property is looking quite good value because a lot of that country property has been quite strongly outperformed over the last 10 years by property um, in um, towns and cities. Uh, you know, a classic example, if you were to look at the uber towns of Guildford, you know, St Albans, Sevenoaks, Winchester, Tunbridge Wells, Cambridge and Oxford, you look at all of those, all of those markets, the urban markets there have done incredibly well over the period of the last 10 years. Um, the, the markets in the villages around them have struggled to keep pace, certainly in terms of price growth. And that means that, that those properties in the surrounding villages are looking pretty good value at a people that people are a time people are reassessing what they're looking for in a property. So I think that means it's likely to have legs uh, for a while yet. And Frank, can I, can I ask you a bit more about the speci- specifically your 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 part of the market? Is there a massive premium on property that is that, that you know is close to water? Absolutely. I mean, there always has been, and people have always been prepared to pay a premium for that proximity to the water. But I think. Um, over the last few months that has accelerated even more so. Um, In terms of premiums, we look at properties within a certain distance from the water compared to properties further inland. Um, And if you take the UK as a whole, you're looking at an average of about 13% premium for something within 100 metres of the water compared to properties further away. But if you take absolute water frontage um, the sky is almost the limit in terms of how far that premium goes and we often see houses with direct access to water be it a river or a coast or a lake which go for two or three times more than a similar house would go for without those lifestyle benefits and uh, without over egging it uh, all these people who are suddenly you know these sort of city dwellers who are suddenly discovering the, the countryside uh, do they have a particular demand for your type of property, do you think? We've seen a big increase in young families making that lifestyle move um, and taking advantage of all the adventures that being by the water um, provides them. And then also um, people in their, let's say, 50s who might have thought about retiring to a coastal home in their 60s, but are now doing it a bit sooner, expecting that they'll be able to work more flexibly for the remainder of their career. Andrew, in, in your part of the world, I mean, I know you cover the, the whole of sort of country residential, but the big end, the high end of that, when we're really talking about prime, I mean, big country houses, I mean, either sort of, you know, edge of village, seven, eight bedroom type things, or even bigger. Is, is that market particularly strong at the moment? It is. I think the country house market um, has been enjoying a purple patch um, since lockdown. Um, we've It's been widely reported that we've seen the number of new buyers registering with us is, is roughly double what it was at this time last year. In the country house market, it's, it's up by three times. We've got three times as many buyers registering for a country house in the United Kingdom than we had this time last year. Um, and it's perhaps long. I mean, that's a huge number, right? It, it is. And, and, and you know, Lucien's already said, you know, we think the country, even before lockdown, looked like good value for money. Um, and in the country house market, prices are still 20% below their peak of 2007. 
So perhaps it's been a long time in coming, but I think it's fair to say that country houses are definitely back in fashion again. Lucy, what about London then? What about the real prime London stuff? And, and things like development, you know, I, I, if this is all happening, is there going to be a market for new prime central London stuff, for instance? I think the central London market has been held back to a degree by the lack of international travel. Um, yet, despite that, if you were to look at that, that measure we looked at earlier, the number of sales above a million pounds, and you were to take, say, the borough of Westminster, transaction levels there have been 20% higher um, in the past four weeks than they were in the same period last year. Now, that's, that, you know, that's not double um, as it has been in other markets, but it still suggests that those markets are, um, you know, are still turning over. Compare that to Wandsworth, and you go to Wandsworth, a bit more of a, a deprived domestic market, bang in the heart of what we would refer to as the Southwest Wealth Corridor, which people are moving along to get a little bit more value for money. You get into the borough of Wandsworth, and a million pound plus sales there in the past four weeks, 126% higher bang in line with the UK average than they were last year. So that tells us that there is still plenty of appetite for houses within London. I think the the market is stronger for for houses and flats, and it's particularly strong uh, for those which have a garden, because that ties into the demand um, for outside space um, that people um, are looking for. Where the development market can offer something different, it continues to do pretty well, and and that market continues to offer some investment opportunities. when you say offer something different, you know, it, it, do you think it has to offer something different? You know, building a smart block of flats in central London is, is not going to you know, be quite what it was before all this? Yeah, well, I mean, it's got to differentiate itself, hasn't it? And it can either do that through its address by being absolutely spot on the money, um, or it can do so by the facilities and services that it offers. Um, and where you get that right, then, then that property um, will continue to sell. Andrew, I thought you were going to say something there. I, I was, yeah. I was just going to pick up on the point that Lucien said about uh, a, a for central London new build development uh, with good services. I actually think they could be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this move to the country where people um, are using the equity that they've built up in their London properties pre-EU referendum to go and buy something much bigger in the country and have enough money left over to buy something in, the, in in town. And if you are leaving your property in town for a prolonged period of time, you want to have lock up and leave, you want to have the benefits of a concierge, you want to have the all, all the bits that come with that, the peace of mind that comes with that. So actually that type of product might do better than you think. And Fran, if um, if Lucian's right, well, of course, of course, I don't know why I said if, Lucian's always right. Uh, and there is this sort of Southwest Corridor or something like that shift, you know, uh, uh, the Wandsworth, yes. But you must be licking your lips at the idea of stuff along the Thames, you know, Richmond and in fact in Wandsworth a little bit and, and, and on out from there. Absolutely. I mean, we've we've already seen a lot of those people who have made that move to the country now start to think about putting some of that equity release into a second home in London um, and Riverside developments offer um, a lot a lot of benefits in that regard because they're secure um, you've got a concierge downstairs they lock up and leave um, but we are still seeing people buying houses on the river you know Barnes, Putney, Wandsworth, Chiswick, um, Richmond who are buying their main home and upsizing into a lovely big period house with a large garden and, and access to the river. So we're, we are seeing both, 
both sides of the market from a riverside point of view. We're talking about a buoyant market, uh, confidence about the future, and yet we're living in an incredibly uncertain time. Is there a danger that we're just completely ignoring the danger signs here? I mean, I think if people were getting carried away with pricing, then we would be getting concerned about it. But the evidence suggests that, yes, there are incidences of, of competitive bidding, you know, all of the things that you would expect in a, in a market which is pretty active, but they're not getting carried away on pricing. Um, and in an environment where one of the key things from the economy, for those people who have a, a stable source of employment or a stable income or a stable level of wealth, um, is that interest rates are forecast to stay much lower for much longer. Um, and, and for that reason, you know, that, that's one of the key things why you won't have, for example, affordability pressures um, on house prices generally or indeed um, within the prime market. I think there is a risk that because of things like unwinding of furlough, general impact which that has on unemployment and the economy and the backdrop of Brexit, that it will be difficult to sustain the level of momentum which we've seen in the market to date through to the back end of the year. Thereafter, of course, we've got the end of a stamp duty holiday looming. And I think that will, if you like, kick the market, um, kick the market on again a bit at the beginning, um, at the beginning of next year. So that against the context of these uh, relatively low interest rates, it gives us, you know, does give us some confidence. I think that supply is critical to all of this, the level of supply in the marketplace. And as it stands today, we have an alignment between supply and demand. The level of stock coming to the market, seems there's not certainly enough demand for that and there isn't too much and there isn't too little. So that's containing prices. Right, now, uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic, all of you. Thank you very much for that. Now, um, we can't go with that. Well, we would normally do a Savile Standout statistic at this point, but, but last time we talked about this, we didn't ask you a Savile Standout stat. We asked you how you would invest a million pounds in property right now. So I'm going to, if I can, ask all three of you that. Um, Lucian, do you remember what you said uh, last time I asked you how you would spend a million pounds? Very clearly, very clearly, Guy. I think at that point we were the county championship was just winding up again. Somerset have had an incredible run, and I was going to buy a property somewhere in North Somerset uh, to meet my requirements. You know, to to watch Somerset County Cricket Club uh, play their cricket. Now, I'm assuming I'm not going to buy two properties in that area, and I'm assuming you've given me very generously, I might say, um, another million pounds. So I'm probably in the second home territory. Um, and I think there, for me, I would probably go Pembrokeshire um, or, or certainly somewhere um, on the Welsh on the Welsh coast, um, a bit less expensive than perhaps going to some of the hotspots of Devon and Cornwall, but coastline, which is absolutely stunning uh, and has all of those attributes. So, so with the second million that you've given me, you are incredibly generous. That's where I'll put it. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm just throwing the millions around at the moment. Andrew, have have a million quid. Thank you for your generosity. Yeah, the last time round, my heart was telling me that we should be investing uh, in the West Highlands, where £1 million goes a very long way, let me tell you. But my head at that time was saying I needed to get in and out of London a bit more often. I think I'd still, um, I'd stick with that in some respects. Sticking with the waterfront theme, I, I would definitely want to be close to the Hamble and the ability to get onto the water, but still have reasonably easy access to, to, to London. If, if a little longer than an hour, that's okay. 
Fran, you've got a customer here, I think, in Andrew. <laughs> I'm just chucking the money away now. Fran, here, here's a million. What, do you, what are you going to do with it? Well, I actually think, I, given I cover both London and the country, I should be allowed two million so I can buy one in each. <laughs> no wonder you sell houses for a living. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if we're all agreed on that, then um, I'll have a million pounds to put in a nice warehouse conversion in southeast London around Shad Thames. I think those character properties on the river will do very well um, over the long term and also act as great bolt holes for people who will be wanting easy access to the city when they do come to town. And then in the country, having just actually come back from a long weekend in North Devon, I'm slightly in love with the North Devon and North Cornwall coast at the moment. I think you can't really go wrong with a bolt hole down there, walking distance to the sea and having the sand between your toes every morning. Sounds idyllic. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've just given a lot of money away. Um, thank you all very, very much for that. It's been uh, lovely to speak to you all. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, and that's it for this episode of uh, Real Estate Insights. If you want to delve more into the detail, then I can highly recommend the Prime Residential Spotlight Report, which you'll find on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. And if you aren't already a subscriber to Real Estate Insights and would like to become one, then you can do so using your usual podcast provider, of course. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.